All right, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you. It's good to be seen by those of you joining with us virtually. My name is Adam Sidler, senior pastor here. If it's your first time or you're relatively new to the church, thank you so much for deciding to be a part of this. And uh, for those of you joining virtually as well, thank you. If this is your first time, for tuning in. Um, so we, in case you aren't aware, we aren't schizophrenic, right? We uh, don't normally do a service like this, one where we um, are all together for one service on a Sunday morning because we have two distinct worship styles here where uh, we at nine o'clock have a traditional service and then at uh, 10.30 we have a modern service. And so over the course of the summer, as Joel mentioned in the announcement video, uh, for June, July, and August, we're going to do this. One service together at 10 a.m. where we're worshiping uh, not only by singing those hymns, but also as we just did, singing those more, more modern songs. But then two congregations um, coming together under the um, umbrella of North Haven Church. So if you look around, and you probably have already done, actually it was interesting, I was standing at the back, and I could see people every now and then look around at others and say, oh, I wonder if they've been here a while, or I wonder if they're new. Uh, I've never seen them before. Um, so yeah, see, we, we, I think this is just going to be a wonderful opportunity for us to maybe meet some people that will say and, and live out, hey, North Haven is our church, but yet you never met them. So I'm excited uh, to be able to enjoy this time of community and family. And so awesome too, and, uh, to be able to be in the same place and to worship with your family. I think that that is just incredible uh, when you have kids uh, and you're able to do that. So um, this is the first Sunday of the month. Whenever we do that, we do two important things. The first is that we ask for you to consider giving towards our benevolence offering. So um, once a month, we ask uh, for you to consider giving towards people who are in need of financial assistance here at North Haven Church, and then occasionally in our community outside of this place. Um, but those funds, they are so helpful in meeting needs because needs are uh, coming up just a plenty here at North Haven Church, and we're able to bless people when they re reach those financial crises. So um, if God's leading for you to give in that way, we ask that you do that at the conclusion of the service. There'll be someone standing outside the doors with an offering basket, and you can, you can put that in there at that time. And then we also do communion. So you notice the communion uh, elements are here in front of me. At the end of the service, we're going to participate in communion together, remembering the sacrifice that Christ became for us on the cross. And then also, as Joel mentioned, next Sunday, not only are we going to have one service together like we are today at 10 a.m., but uh, this a church that meets here in our building, Eternal Life, this Hmong church, they are going to join us as well. And then for those of you who would love to be a part of it, and I, I hope that you would um, uh, choose to do so, we're going to just have lunch together. 
And so if you want to bring something to that potluck, either a main dish or a dessert or some sort of side, you can actually indicate that. At, there's a sign-up sheet right outside these doors, um, over by the front doors. Just jot down your name and what it is that you're going to bring, just so that we can be prepared. Um, we can have the whole building go down in electricity failure if we have too many crockpots come and we're not aware. So please, just keep that in mind and then indicate. Be a part of that. It's going to be awesome. Um, Bert, um, one of the deacons for this church, Eternal Life Church, was telling me some of the food that, that people will probably be bringing from their church. And you guys, that's going to be amazing. So, all right. Well, we are in a 50-week series in which we are going through the book of Acts. And uh, as as uh, John mentioned earlier, Denny was able to speak um, to you all uh, going through chapter 13. I was at Camp Lebanon this last weekend. I don't know if you're familiar with that camp. It's a Christian camp in Upsala, Minnesota. I grew up going there with my family. And, uh, and, then, and then my family, my wife and kids, we've been going since we keep, moved back to Minnesota in 2013. But I had a chance to not only go, but to also speak. Uh, so I spoke a few times over the course of that, uh, that weekend to, um, I think there were 60 families that were there. It was just a really, really great time. So thank you, Denny, for that. But as, as we've been um, journeying through the book of Acts, we've been seeing firsthand what Jesus talked about, that you will be my witness. You will proclaim the message of the resurrected Jesus first to Jerusalem and then to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. First, the message of the gospel, the resurrected Jesus, will be poured into the hearts of Jews who are going to understand who Jesus is for the first time, the resurrected Savior, the one who became the necessity for us to be saved, receiving grace through faith. And then that message is going to spread. And we saw tangibly why that message spread. It's because great persecution began in Jerusalem, causing Christians, Jews who became Christians, to flee and then taking the message of the gospel with them. And so wherever they went, wherever they went, they spoke the gospel. Wherever they went, they spoke the resurrected Jesus. We talked about this early on in the series that we need to be sharks. Not in a vicious way, but the church has to keep moving or it will become ineffective and then it'll eventually just die. And so we're called to go. We're called to go out and we see that through Judea and Samaria. And then over the last four chapters, we've seen then it just explode even beyond that to areas outside of the region surrounding Jerusalem to now, now we're seeing the gospel interact and change lives of Gentiles as well. Now, it's, for those of you who aren't aware of, of who a Gentile is, who is a, who is a Gentile? Someone who's not a Jew. Someone who's not Jewish. And, and Jews, especially Christian Jews, struggled with the idea of the gospel going to Gentiles. Why? Because they deemed them as unclean. 
because they ate unclean foods. It then made them unclean. And so now they're seeing firsthand and are amazed and astonished that the gospel of the resurrected Jesus isn't just for them. It's for everybody. Even though Jesus, and we talked about this many times over the course of this this series, even though Jesus time and time again was cluing his disciples into this very fact. I mean, what what is the most famous verse of the Bible? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the message of the gospel of the resurrected Jesus just explode to areas beyond Jerusalem and the region surrounding it. And two individuals who we're seeing take the message of the gospel to these places, these often dangerous places, is Paul and Barnabas. Now, in Acts chapter 14, that's where we're going to be here today. So if you have Bibles, you can turn to Acts 14. If not, it'll be on the screen. Or there's Bibles in front of you. You can certainly use those. But in Acts 14, we see Paul and Barnabas go to the city of Iconium. And here they do what they do everywhere they go. They take the message of the gospel of the resurrected Jesus with them wherever they go. They're preaching this gospel, and they're seeing tremendous response. We're not going to go to the verses yet in 8 through 10, but first we're just going to set the stage. So prior to verse 8, we see them go to Iconium, preach the gospel of the resurrected Jesus, and see then tremendous fruit from that. People then begin to believe. But that's not all that happens. Because there was mixed reaction. Others then began to conspire against the apostles, specifically Paul and Barnabas. And we see almost this partnership take place between the Jews and the Gentiles in this city of Iconium. They came together, banded together, and began to conspire against Paul and Barnabas trying to raise um, some disgruntledness, some, some anger, some animosity towards what Paul and Barnabas were doing for the sake of Christ. So you have to ask why. Why would they respond that way? Why would they get so worked up and so concerned that they would begin to conspire to the point where they would plot and plan how to bring about their demise? Well, it would seem that opposition to the gospel of the resurrected Jesus is evidence of what? Its effectiveness. And God blesses their boldness in Iconium. He blesses Paul and Barnabas' boldness, leaning into that adversity. And thus they were able to, Paul and Barnabas, they were able to perform many signs and wonders, it says. 
But the opposition grew even more because the gospel of the resurrected Jesus was touching lives and was changing lives. Opposition grew and grew to the point where they were plotting their death. Specifically, they were going to stone them. And so they discovered, Paul and Barnabas did, this plan, this plot that the opposition had resorted to. And so they fled to a nearby city of Lystra to continue to preach the gospel both to the Jews and the Gentiles. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 8. So we're going to read these verses, starting with verse 8, and take some time talking about that before we, we move forward. So verse 8 through verse 10. In Lystra there was a there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul as Paul was speaking. And Paul looked directly at him. And he saw that he had faith to be healed. And he called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And then verses 11 through 13, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laotian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? Commentator Howard Marshall, he points out that the tearing of the clothes is an expression of revulsion at a blasphemous attempt to regard men as divine. And the swift rush by Paul and Barnabas into the crowd was their attempt to avoid being reverenced as gods and so committing sin against the true God, unquote. So then in verse 16 through 18, we see, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing the good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then verse 16, in the past, God let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. But even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. I would imagine that Paul and Barnabas, time and time again, we're going to see this even more with Paul, felt like they were just banging their heads against a wall. I mean, that's a real human emotion. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to being in an existence where seemingly at every turn and in every way, you're coming up against something? 
Nod your head if you understand. And what is our response in those moments? What is our response when, when we come up against those walls, when we come up against that opposition? Understandably, we tend to step away. When things are difficult, when there's challenges and they persist, the human response is to want to get as far away from that as possible. But yet we see time and time again with Paul and Barnabas this leaning into that wall, leaning into that opposition. That's so counterintuitive. It's incredible. Yesterday, my wife and I labored through nine hours of baseball. Where are you at? There you are. Yep. Nine hours. My son had a, and his team had a tournament, so we had three games, right? Three games, and then there was about an hour and a half in between each game, and not enough time to go home or justify that, right, and come back. So we were there, baseball all day. To a point, my son was in his glory. But at the third game or the start of the third game, you could tell, he was like, even he was, this is just too much. The second game, um, my son, he loves baseball. He breathes baseball. It's baseball, baseball, baseball. And especially during baseball season, that's just all he wants to do and talk about. And he loves pitching, which is just crazy to me. I, I, that, that scares me, not only to mention the fact that you are uh, the first and closest person to the batter, right? But then beyond that, the spotlight is on you. And, and so I just, I can't even fathom it. So it amazes me that he even wants to do it. Now, in any team, there are the kids who are really good, and then it kind of goes down from there, right? We all know that. We can admit it. And my son, you know, I mean, he's, he's wherever in that, in that but, but with pitching, he's probably about the fourth best pitcher that they have. And so the coach brings him into the game. He's pitched a few, maybe about four times so far this season. And the last time that he pitched prior to yesterday, it was about three games ago, he had a really difficult inning. Every pitcher experiences that. Are there any pitchers from like high school or anything like that? Y'all, yep. So Steve, you, you know that? I mean, you're gonna have bad innings, right? Where everything seems to go horrible. And not all of it is the pitcher's fault, right? There are other fielders involved and they can make errors and all that stuff. And so my, my son, he came up, team had the lead. This was three games ago team had the lead, he comes up, he's pitching, and things just start not going well. And um, the other team comes back, and they win. It was tough. It was really tough. And as a parent, you're just wanting to run in there and save your child, you know? But you got to hold back, right? You got to do the parent thing, you know? Let him go through it. But when he was in the midst of that, 
he had a really significant crisis. He was working through those emotions, and they were getting the best of him. At one point, he actually turned to the coach, and he asked the coach to take him out. And the coach kept him up in a little longer. Eventually, he was, he was replaced with somebody else. But that was, man, that was tough. After, we, after that game, my son and I, we talked, and, and I told him how proud I was of him, how he, he stayed in there for as long as the coach had him in there. And I know that that was so tough. But I asked him, did you do your best? And he said, yeah, I was doing my best. I was like, then that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So yesterday, it was the last inning. Second game, last inning. There he is, there's the star. Second game, last inning. Two outs were in the field. And that's when the coach decides to put my son into pitch. We're ahead by like five runs or something like that. No, one run, right? We were ahead by one run. And I'm just like, I'm freaking out. I am, everything within me, just, I, I've just, I, I could barely contain myself, you know, and I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to be the, the really cool parent there, you know, hey, yeah, this is fine. But inside I'm going, oh my God. And I'm just praying, I'm like, God, please, please. And he, he saved, you, you won the game for them. You struck out the last batter. It was awesome. It was such a, a really cool moment. But then the third game. The third game, and we, uh, we were behind by seven runs. And we had the field, and we had one more chance to bat. But they had, uh, in the tournaments, they have a, a, a max run rule. You get to a certain amount, and uh, they have to call the game. And we were two runs away from that. And my son, he struck out a batter. They got another um, out, and then he's working on the next batter, one strike. And man, he just, I, he's, you could tell things were same deal. He was struggling. He was feeling the pressure. People were on base. And you could tell that that stress, you know, was getting to him. But then I saw something switch in my son. And it was almost like I could hear him. And in that moment, he was saying, I'm doing my best. And I'm just going to keep doing my best. Now that game didn't turn out like we had hoped. But my son is a rock star. Not because he's a great pitcher. But because when that wall approached and when that adversity reared its ugly head, my son remained steadfast and committed to give his best. And to do so until he wasn't asked to do that any longer. And you know who was waiting after that game to yesterday? With big open arms, with so much anticipation to come hold you? That's right, your father. Man, that's, 
That's just the most beautiful picture for me. I know it. We are all experiencing this. Every single one of us. It's that wall. It's that opposition. You come up against it, and every instinct in you is telling you to run away. But God's called us. And if we're faithful, if we're determined to give him the best of what he's given us, we're going to see fruit. We're going to see amazing things happen. But it's not going to be comfortable. What is it that we hope God will say to us when we stand before him? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. He's going to ask, did you do your best? Did you give your best? And I want to be able to say, yeah. It is so counter-instinctive to lean into the wall. But that's what God calls us to. And here's the thing. God is waiting with open arms. Our Father is faithful and present, and he's cheering us on. And in that moment, when we either break through or he calls us to something else, that embrace will always be ready and will always be there. So many times when I'm standing here on a Sunday morning, I feel as if I'm preaching to myself more than I am you. This is one of those days. But I hope that today that you can be encouraged. Being steadfast, faithful, good and faithful servant, being like Christ, giving our best, and then knowing that the embrace of the Father is just moments away. That's what I want to encourage us to do today and to do that together.